Well, happy Mother's Day. I'm Kurt Nelson, children's ministry pastor. And if you have your cell phone with you this morning and you have texting, will you take it out and turn it on? I'm going to take a poll. I'm going to need your help with your cell phone. So we want to find out what lesson you learned from your mom that was the most memorable and that stuck with you. Was it in the area of logic, such as, if you fall off that swing and die, you can't go to the store with me later? (laughs) Was it more along the lines of consideration? I just scrubbed the floor. Go outside and bleed in the garage. Medicine, if you keep crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. That's kind of a classic. Or along the lines of humor, stop messing around. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. (laughs) All right, think about which message your mom taught you the best. And on your cell phone, when you uh, go to send a text message where you normally type in the contact name or the phone number, just type in 37607, hit enter, and then in the message area, type in the code up there. Oh, people are voting already. Humor's off to an early lead. But uh, yeah, if you want to vote for humor, say 238869, and then just hit send. Humor's got a couple votes. Logic's a little bit. Oh, oh, logic has narrowed the gap. <laughs> Nobody for consideration or medicine yet, huh? All right. After you, oh, okay. There we go. Good. Catching up a little bit, but logic is still in the lead. Oh, consideration's making a big comeback. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it open for a couple more minutes of voting. Oh, consideration's really pushing. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, logic is widening the lead over them all. Ten more seconds. Oh, all right. We'll call it. We'll say logic won by a hair with consideration in seconds. So good job. Good. Thank you guys for voting. First service, just so you know, consideration won a little bit. But it looks like logic and consideration are high up there. All right. Well, now uh, you can set your phones to vibrate again. <laughs> Um, we've all learned a lot from our moms, right? And so today, since I got to preach on Mother's Day, I was thinking, what passage do I want to look at? And I decided to talk about the passage where the parents are bringing their kids to Jesus for him to bless them. And, and the disciples try to stop them, but Jesus says, no, let the kids come to me. And it's kind of a favorite scene in the Bible, and it's uh, led to a lot of biblical artwork is based on this scene. Like, here's an example of one of the many pictures. This one is just called Jesus Blesses the Children. And I want you to take a look at that and think about what you remember uh, from the Bible about this scene. It's, it's, um, it's in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. But just from what you remember, see if you can find anything or, or how many things you can find that are wrong with this picture. Okay, in fact, turn to the person next to you, and I'm going to give you 49 seconds to discuss it, and let me know how many things you can find that you think might be a mistake in that picture. Ready? Go. All right. Let me show you what I think might be wrong with this picture, and you can just see how you did. Um, Besides the um, obvious white European Jesus... um, just looking at the Bible passage, if you look over on this side, the, old, the older guy with the beard is real serious. I think he's supposed to be a Pharisee. If that's true, then that's a mistake. We'll look at the passage just, in just a second, and we'll see that the Pharisees had already left by the time this happened. 
Um, more glaringly, Jesus is sitting outside under the tree. The Bible tells us they had gone inside a house when this took place. Um, if you look at the age of the kids, I think the little girl sitting on Jesus' lap is about the right age, maybe kind of on the older edge of how the Bible describes the kids. The other kids, you know, sitting down front and standing in the back looking at him are much older uh, than they should be. And uh, we see a bunch of the kids, but um, I think I see some disciples over there and down there, maybe a couple parents in the back. But according to this passage, there were just parents all over the place, constantly interrupting Jesus. So there should be parents all over this picture. I just see one uh, couple. And uh, if you look at the disciples, like, you can only see the face of that one guy looking at Jesus. Oh, maybe it's when I turn around and look at the screen that it pops. Um, but he looks pretty happy, pretty contented, pretty peaceful. Uh, the disciples were totally frustrated uh, in this scene. And that doesn't really show up in the picture. But the biggest mistake is how happy and peaceful and contented Jesus looks. Okay, He was not happy at all in this scene in the Bible. And that's what I really want to focus on this morning. Um, and so of the three places it's recorded in the Gospels, we're going to look at this in Mark 10. So I'm going to put it up on the screen. You can read along. If you want to read along in your own Bible, open it up to Mark 10. The passage with the children is in verses 13 through 16. But just to kind of put it in context, we're going to start at verse 1. So Mark 10, verse 1, says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And then Jesus and the Pharisees have a big discussion about divorce and remarriage. Skip down to verse 10 as this discussion ends. It says, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. Okay, so they go back in the house. They start to have this big discussion and they keep getting interrupted by parents bringing their kids. So this should, the picture should have been inside the house, not outside. And it says the disciples asked Jesus about this. The disciples were kind of shocked by Jesus' thoughts on divorce and remarriage. And they wanted to follow up on it away from the crowd and away from the uh, argumentative Pharisees. So they went inside the house, probably the house of the family that they were staying with in that area. And so it should have been just Jesus and the disciples and these parents coming. There shouldn't have been Pharisees uh, hanging around in the picture. And look at verse, um, skip down to verse 13. While Jesus and the disciples are talking about divorce and remarriage, um, it says, People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Right? The disciples got frustrated because they're trying to have this grown-up conversation with Jesus about biblical application in the areas of divorce and remarriage. And these parents kept bringing their kids and interrupting them. And not just once, but over and over. The Greek tense there is the one for ongoing, continuous action in the past. So from the disciples' point of view, it's like we're trying to learn. And these people, they keep bringing their kids to Jesus. And then more people show up with more kids. And still more people with more kids. Don't these guys know how important we are? Don't they know we're the future uh, leaders of the church can't we please just finish our conversation with jesus this once all right and so they get all frustrated and finally they decide they have to do something and so they rebuke the parents okay 
Um, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. All right. So he just the, the disciples are frustrated. They rebuke the parents. Jesus rebukes them right in front of the parents they were rebuking. They get shot down. I'm thinking, okay, this has not been a good day for them, right? They're, they're shocked by Jesus' teaching on divorce. When they try to get a little clarification, they, they keep getting interrupted. They try to deal with the interruptions. Jesus shoots them down. I'm thinking they should not have looked so happy in that picture. Okay, it was not a good afternoon. But, but the person who, should have, who looked the most out of place with this big, happy, smile, peaceful, contented was Jesus. And in fact, I really want to focus on that. So turn to the person next to you right now and say, you are about to learn something. Good. Now turn back to him and say, and it's about time. All right, good, excellent. Thank you. Now, the verse says Jesus was indignant, okay? So this was not happy, peaceful, contented Jesus depicted in all the pictures of this scene. He's upset. How upset is he? (laughs) Okay? It says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, okay? Now, in your mind, when you interpret that verse, where do you put that on this scale, starting at... He was just starting to get slightly annoyed all the way up to he was furious. All right. Think about that for a sec. No. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't have to text this one. Oh, that's good. I'll, I'll give you a hint. It should be a little bit higher on the scale. Think higher. In fact, this word that they use for Jesus, righteous anger here, is the strongest word used for Jesus' anger in all of the Gospels. Okay? This is the strongest language ever used to describe how angry Jesus got when he rebuked someone. Okay? The strongest language. So when you think about Jesus getting angry, what do you think about? I know what you think about. You don't think about this passage. You think about the temple, Jesus clearing out the money changers with the whip, you know, right? And it's, I love that passage. That's awesome because Jesus is tough, you know, and he just scares them away. And I, I think, oh, that's so cool. But did you know in that passage, it never says that Jesus was angry. I mean, it definitely shows us by his actions, but it never says that he was angry. And this passage that we're looking at today with the children is the passage where it uses the strongest language for Jesus' righteous anger. And it's interesting because it's not like a a confrontation with Pharisees or money changers or anything like that. It's his own beloved disciples. And he rebukes them all because they thought their grown-up discussion about marital legal procedures in the church was more important than Jesus ministering to children. All right? I think that's interesting because Jesus slams his fist down, says, no, let them come to me. And it's interesting because I never really thought about it that way before. I always pictured Jesus, this passage, it was more like, let the little children come to me. You know? And didn't you think, like, it was this flowery, sweet language. It turns out that's not right at all. It's not... If it's not this flowery language directed at the children themselves, 
This is a stinging rebuke directed at the disciples. So I had to adjust my picture of this. It's, he says, what do you think you're doing? Let the children come to me. And of all the words the gospel writers recorded, those are the angriest words he ever uttered. And I think that's huge. Um, I think that's really big because I think in Jesus' righteous anger and his reaction that you see his heart. Okay? We don't have to wonder, does Jesus care about children? We know. Right? We could just ask the disciples. Uh, uh, we don't have to wonder if, if children are pri- priority to God. Okay? We know. Um, we see it in Jesus' heart. In fact, i just like to remember the angriest words Jesus ever uttered were when his disciples tried to come between him and children's ministry. <laughs> yeah, that's good, huh? <laughs> All right. So, in fact, I'd like to take just a minute and do a little recruiting for children's ministry this morning. <laughs> no. no, no, no. Here's the point I want to make. Moms, dads, grandparents, take advantage of the little opportunities you have to point your kids to Jesus because we know that is huge in his heart. We know that Jesus is passionate about that. We know he cares about that. Um, Just the little things. Like I was thinking this week, I was trying to think of some examples, and, and my wife Ruth is so good at this. And just a couple of things that I'll, I'll share that popped into my mind was one thing. She'd been doing a Bethmore Bible study, and Bethmore talks about giving God applause when you see something that's applause-worthy. Um, and so Ruth brought this into our family, and so our whole family would do this. We would, like, walk out the front door, and if there was this beautiful sunset, we'd notice it, and we'd start clapping. We'd go, God, that's a beautiful sunset, Lord. Oh, man, thanks for making that sunset and for letting us come out the right time to see it. Oh, God, you're awesome. You know, and even if people were walking by on the sidewalk or whatever, and we'd hop in our car, we'd take off, and it wasn't like a big theological treatise, you know, or anything like that. It was just real quick, real spontaneous, real natural, and, and then we just went on with our lives. But it, I thought, oh, that is so cool because it's just a really neat reminder to, to kind of go through life aware that every good gift comes from above and that uh, we can always be watching out for things to thank God for. And I thought it just seemed natural, too, because in our um, culture, when we want to praise people, that's one of the ways we do it. It's with applause, like we did for the moms earlier. So I thought, oh, how cool to applaud Jesus when you see something awesome. Or another example was mealtime prayers. I always struggle with mealtime prayers because they just sound so fake, you know, and they just feel like they're just rote, just something you have to do before you can eat, you know, and... and um, and so trying to keep it real is always hard. And um, Ruth read Deuteronomy 8.10, which says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the land he has given you. And it's just Moses saying, when you get into the promised land and you have this great land and you're able to grow these great crops and have these great meals, don't forget that it was God who brought you there and, and provided you this opportunity to have all this good food. But what I liked about the verse, what Ruth pointed out, was that it kind of turns it around because it says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord for the... And I thought, well, that's different. Um, and, and so we started, and our family, we started saying thanks for the meal after we'd eaten it. And it really makes more sense because then you can pray with understanding, right? Before, you don't know if you want to thank God for the food. <laughs> but then you eat it and you go, oh, that's delicious. Thank you, Lord. That was really good. And... 
And it just seemed to make it more real to us. And it just seemed more natural. Just like, you know, you eat dinner and then you say, oh, Ruth, that's really good. Thank you. You know, you, you eat it and you go, oh, that's delicious. Thanks. And so we did the same thing with God. And it really kept it fresh, I thought. And those are just a couple examples from our family. Obviously, it'll look different um, in every family. Um, but just an encouragement to, to uh, be looking for those little opportunities. And obviously, another encouragement to, that you have to be growing closer and closer to God, too, because you can't take your kids farther into the things of God than you've gone yourself. So it's up to me to keep you know, studying and learning, getting to know God better each day. And it's up to Ruth to do the same. And then we look for little opportunities to point our kids to the Lord. And I just think it's so cool. And, and, uh, and again, it looked different in different families. And I think that's another thing we need to remember, that uh, um, godly biblical parenting looks different in different settings, different families. And my way is not the best way for you guys to raise your family and vice versa. So we've got to think about different finding ways that our kids can be pointed to Jesus that fits their personalities. And also considering their age. You know, now that my girls are teenagers, it's a lot different than when they were preschoolers. Um, because we all know kids go through different, and there's just stages of parenting, stages of motherhood. In fact, I was collecting some thoughts on it this week, so I thought I'd kind of walk you through it. Um, first, there's deciding whether to become a parent or not. Um, comedian Rita Rudner says, My husband and I were trying to decide whether to buy a dog or to have some children. And she said, We couldn't decide if we wanted to ruin the carpet or our lives. <laughs> All right. Now, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad, but funny. Okay. And then when you decide to have a child, I like what Eleanor Golding Smith said. She wrote, it sometimes happens, even in the best of families, that a child is born. And she, <laughs> and she says, this is not necessarily cause for alarm. The important thing to do is to keep your wits about you and borrow some money. <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, parents, yeah, you know what that's about. And then when the baby comes, besides borrowing money, you might want to get some earplugs. Because I like the saying that says, the person who says, I slept like a baby, obviously has never had a baby. <laughs> um, and I uh, like Ralph Waldo Emerson, also talking about babies, said there was never a baby so lovely, but his mother was glad to get him asleep. <laughs> Isn't that true? And then your kids start to grow up, and you've got to teach them all the life lessons, like to share. They don't naturally know to share. Benjamin Spock said there's only two things that a kid will share willingly. Communicable diseases and his mother's age. <laughs> But, you know, that's not exactly true. Kids share a lot with us in children's ministry. <laughs> um, I like this other quote that says, Children seldom misquote you. They usually quote word for word what you shouldn't have said. <laughs> oh, that's good. And that is, one of the, that is one of the funny things in children's ministry. Sometimes, it's all be in a classroom, it's all I can do to keep from cracking up looking at the other teachers as they're listening, the little kids telling us about this word their dad said last night when he spilled beer down his shirt. <laughs> it's like, and we're just like going, oh, man. So, so be nice to your kids' Sunday school teachers because they know stuff <laughs> about you. <laughs> oh, but anyway, you have to teach your kid to eat a variety of healthy foods. Uh, Buddy Hackett said, my mom's menu consisted of two choices, take it or leave it. 
Um, you have to dr- teach them to dress appropriately. Um, I saw a definition for a sweater. It said, sweater, noun, garment worn by child when its mother is feeling chilly. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can totally relate to that. And then, and then your kids grow up and, and move out. And I'll end with this one from Phyllis Diller. She said, I want my kids to grow up and move out and have great lives and be able to afford all the things that I could never afford. And then I want to move in with them. <laughs> but, oh, yeah, that's good. All right. So, but wherever you are with your kids, point them to Jesus. And you can't start too early um, in that passage um, in Matthew and Mark, when it says people were bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed, Matthew and Mark use the generic Greek term for a child, which means anybody from zero up to about 12 years of age. But Dr. Luke, in his account of the story, Dr. Luke uses the more precise term uh, for babies, which for us it would, be, would cover our infants and toddlers about, about up to two years old. And so that's why I was pointing out that girl sitting on his lap, She's kind of at the far edge of toddlerhood. She might be in the right range, but most other kids were too old. Um, And that understanding would kind of fit with the culture back then. When they had a baby, they would take him to the synagogue and have the rabbi uh, bless their baby. And if uh, whenever visiting rabbis came to town, as long as their child was still kind of infant or toddler age, they would take them in to the rabbi to get another blessing. Like, you know, one more can't hurt, you know. And, and it was just kind of like, it, yeah, it, well, it doesn't hurt. So they kept taking them until they got bigger. So they were probably bringing these young, young kids to Jesus, which, which I think is interesting. And then listen to Jesus' response. After he rebukes the disciples, um, in verse 15, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And here he switches back to the generic term for child. All three accounts quote Jesus using the child, someone 12 years old. So he's saying, you know, if you want to see how you get into the kingdom of God, he said, for your example, pick a kid. Look at a kid, um, somebody under about 12 years old. And uh, why, why would he choose kids as an example? Well, just about every commentary agrees um, he's pointing you to childlike faith. Okay, kids just accept things. Um, in fact, um, among magicians, there's a saying that says you can't do magic for a three-year-old. Okay, because you can stand up in front of them and do magic tricks, but to a three-year-old, everything in the world is like magic. You know, the the you turn on the TV and, whoa, that's magic. You know, they flip the light switch and the room lights up. Whoa, that's magic. And so it's not any different when a magician comes and, like, shows a box empty and then reaches inside and pulls out a bunny rabbit. They're like, whoa, that's where bunny rabbits come from. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just not impressive. So because they just accept things. In fact, I was going to show you. I'll show you an example here. Okay, like if, like if I pull out a bottle of ketchup. Okay, and I put it in a paper bag like this, and I snap my fingers, and the ketchup bottle disappears. They would not be that impressed, even if I snap my fingers again and made it come back. Okay, (laughs) see, see, there, they just would not be that impressed, even even if I took it the next step. And I turned that ketchup, okay, now you guys are going to be impressed. I turned that ketchup back into the original tomato. 
<laughs> oh, you guys are still not super impressed. Oh, you think I just brought a bag with ketchup and tomato in it? <laughs> no. Oh, my, you guys are a tough audience. Ah, uh, forget it. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but see, for a three-year-old, that is, that is not that amazing. So... All right, and I think Jesus is just saying, um, you know, a three-year-old they, or whatever, they turn the light on, the room lights up, they just accept it. They don't have to understand electrical pathways. They don't have to understand how electrical energy gets converted into heat and light and the filament. They just say, oh, you turn the light on, boom, room lights up. That's awesome. And I think Jesus is saying the same thing, that, you know, God says to us, uh, you know, I'm God. Just accept it. And he says, you're sinners, <laughs> Just admit it. Um, and he says, I, God the Father says, I sent my son Jesus down to earth to die on a cross, to be punished for all your sins, so that I could offer you the free gift of eternal life. Eternal life with me in heaven. Just accept it. Like a kid. Okay? I think that's what he's talking about. And don't overcomplicate it. I think this is another thing adults get can be so guilty of. In fact, one thing that cracks me up is I collect gospel tracks that explain how to become a child of God and the ones for adults crack me up because I have some that have three steps I have some that have five steps I have some that have seven steps I have one that has like three things to believe five things to do and seven things to pray I mean it's like a math lesson and sometimes I wonder I'm like is the person who got the three-step track less than half as saved as the person with the seven step it's it's just so complicated. Even as I was thinking about this sermon this week, I went to a restaurant with Mike Rapp, and by the cash register, they had a Steps to Christ book. And it shows you how to become a Christian in 94 pages. And that's the selling point. It says on the back, it says, you'll discover the steps to finding a forever friendship with Jesus in just 13 short chapters. And I thought, wow, that's a, so I'm going to stick with our children's ministry tracks. I just love these. Becoming a child of God. And look at this. It just goes through John 3.16. One verse um, quotes the verse, has a little bit of explanation about it. Like it says, for God so loved. And it just says, God loves you more than anyone else does. His love never stops, no matter what you do. For God so loved the world that he gave says god did something for you that you don't have to pay for you don't have to deserve it's a gift god gave his one and only son jesus that whoever believes in him and it says believing means trusting when you trust in jesus god forgives your sins you become god's child whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life oh isn't that good isn't that so clear so simple i love it the Apostle Paul got it. I love when, I love when the Philippian jail breaks open and, and, he, and they, Paul and Silas get out and instead of running for their lives, they wait and the Philippian jailer comes up and he's shocked that they're still there and he realized, man, what these guys have been saying about God, it's true. So he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And because Paul's the spokesperson, he replies, as Paul replied, and here's his gospel presentation, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. 
And then it says the Philippian believer believed, and his household did, and they got saved, and they all immediately got baptized to celebrate joining God's family. And they threw a huge feast for Paul and Silas, and they celebrated. And it says the Philippian jailer was filled with joy. Oh, and I just love that. He got to know Jesus, and immediately he experienced a joy that he'd never known before. And I thought, why not? How can you help but just love Jesus, all right? And not just love him, but really like him. Okay, really like Jesus. Look at, look at verse 16. I love this. It says, And Jesus took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Oh, I love that verse. And I put the picture back up because I think the picture really does capture the feeling in this verse even if it gets a lot of the details wrong. I think it's got the feeling right that, that, that Jesus stops. And you've got to remember, in our culture, I mean, of course it makes sense to us that Jesus would stop and spend time with kids. But in Jesus' culture, that was a revolutionary thing to do. In Jesus' culture, children were worth nothing. Um, yeah, it was legal to kill your children in Jesus' time until they were about 12 years old. It wasn't outlawed until 375 A.D., like 300 years later, they finally realized children were valuable. Uh, up until at Jesus' time, they weren't valuable until you learned a profession. Okay? They were just so... And so no wonder the, the, the disciples thought they were doing Jesus a favor by stopping the parents and all these bothersome little kids so that they could focus on grown-up stuff. Okay? But Jesus was revolutionary. Said, no, let them come to me. Just like everything. I mean, all over and over, Jesus was revolutionary. When he... When this famous traveling teacher stopped to talk to women. Remember, that shocked the disciples. And what's more, prostitutes later. And then as he was walking down the street, he stopped and talked to beggars. That was unheard of. And he stopped and touched lepers. Oh my goodness, Jesus is amazing. Because it doesn't matter to him what gender you are, or how old you are, how valuable you are, what profession you have, how messed up your body is, or how messed up your past is. Jesus loves you as an individual including little kids. I just think, oh, that is, I, that's one of the things I just like about Jesus so much, that he stopped and picked each one of these kids up individually, focused his attention on them, said a little blessing, touched them, and then let them go. I go, oh, that is the kind of Savior I am so proud to follow. It's just such a neat thing. I was thinking of an example this week that popped into my mind was um, Pastor Tom Ramsey's. You know our college pastor? He's huge. <laughs> He's like a man's man, you know. And, and I was thinking if I was going to walk down a dark alley in Compton at night, I'd want Pastor Tom to be walking along talking to me. Pastor Tom or Jack Bauer. It wouldn't matter to me. <laughs> right, I'm just seeing who's 24 fans. Okay. All right. But, but he's so big, you know, and he mentors football players from OSU, these big muscular guys who could like snap me in half without even thinking about it. And, and they look up to Tom. But the other day, just a few weeks ago, Tom, I saw this Tom was walking by the nursery. And you know how we've got like the kind of like a half door there so you can see in the top. And there was a little girl in there who was crying and she was having a hard time getting used to being in the nursery. And as Tom walked by, the nursery worker was like right by the door trying to, trying to settle her down. And she saw Tom and she went like this. Which is so funny because Tom is so big and he's got facial hair. You, you, you think he's not, like kids would not be drawn to him, but they are. I see him out in the courtyard all the time. They're just drawn to Pastor Tom. And, and Tom, so Pastor Tom stopped and he took this little girl and he calmed her down and she stopped crying and she got all happy and content and he handed her back and he walked on 
And I just thought, oh, that is so cool to see this big guy, and he just has time. Oh, she wants me to hold her? Sure, I'll calm her down for you, and hands her back and goes on. I thought, oh, that is so neat. But what I really love is thinking that, oh, man, Jesus is the ultimate example of that kind of person who's powerful, strong, tough, and he's so smart and wise, and, and yet little kids are just they just grab his attention, and he, lo- he likes to love on them. I thought, that is so wonderful. I think if Jesus was still on the earth today, I mean, we know he's coming back, but if, if he was here today, I think he would be all for Mother's Day. Don't you? In fact, I think it's biblically safe for me to say, I will thank you on behalf of Jesus, all of you mothers, I think this is biblically safe, based on the passage we've just looked at, to say that God appreciates what you do so much, and so God bless you, and God reward you for all the times you take the, you, you point your kids to Jesus. That is huge in Jesus' book. In fact, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us such an awesome Savior who loves kids. Lord, I thank you for each mom here, too. Lord, I pray that you would bless and reward them for every time that they take the take the time to point their kids to jesus to take advantage of the little opportunities during the day um thank you for their godly example and how that points to you and for their prayers for their kids lord i just thank you and give them a blessed mother's day amen